1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
0: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
1: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: All right. um, Let's see. Lockdown journal... March 19th, 2022. So per my therapist requests, I'm going to journal about my mental health. Today I want to talk about what's been sapping my motivation. Okay. So after doing a personal inventory, it's clear that I'm pretty depressed. There are personal factors and environmental factors for my depression, but for the sake of those who will hear this, I'll skip the personal stuff for now. I'll start just by saying this, living in Shanghai is bumming me the out. So for those of you who have kept up with it all, since the outbreak of the pandemic in 2020, aside from like the initial lockdown, we've lived completely normal lives here in Shanghai. But here's the thing, I feel like everyone around me has moved on and made their peace with that lockdown. I've been left behind. I can't get past the lockdown. It looms over me like a long shadow. Everyone in my life has noticed how I've gotten more reclusive, more distrustful, more ornery. I've been haunted by the pandemic in a way that my friends haven't. And I've started to feel like this vessel that holds the memories of that terrible and scary part of our lives. I've been encouraged to move on or at least compartmentalize those things. But I find that those feelings I had back in 2020 at the beginning of all of this creep in and pervade my mind sort of like a bad smell. I haven't let it go. And it's driven me to a deep depression. I do my work and I find I have no motivation to finish like at all. I wanna move on, but I'm trapped. So, uh, lockdown has started again for us here, and I feel like my life hasn't really changed that much. My agoraphobia has meant that I pretty much lived a lockdown sort of lifestyle for the past two years anyway, but this isn't me. There's something about living here in Shanghai or in China more broadly that has done this to me. I know through my work in therapy that we can't really change much of our societal circumstances, but we can change our frame of mind. But in order to do that for me, I have to know how living here in China has warped me into this anxious, agoraphobic mess. I know I'm prone to depression, sure, but this isn't me. I'm an extroverted and happy person. I refuse to believe that I'm just crazy. Something about my external reality has changed that's made me this way. (sighs) Anyway, um, I'm going to sign off for now. So, there's a little background for you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Strangers in China. I know it's been a long time since I've... Made a podcast. I've been working on some, I just haven't really had the motivation to put anything out. The question for me isn't why haven't I put anything out? I'm pretty clear about that. I've been pretty depressed. The question I've been asking myself is why put something out now?
3: 那等那个领导联系啊请你戴个口罩
2: So as I'm sure you've heard, Shanghai was locked down from April 1st to June 1st, 2022. Some parts of the city were locked down for longer, depending on where you live. I spent my 2020 and my 2021 avoiding reality, avoiding working on the podcast, and just avoiding people. But then the lockdown came to my door. There were reports of the Omicron variant spreading around the city in February, and by March, neighborhoods around the city began locking people in their homes. In early March, my work told me not to come in for fear of spread of the virus. A few days later, my neighborhood Juweihui informed us that we would be locking down for two days of testing. After those initial two days, there were actually an additional two days until we eventually got the news we were going to be locked down for much longer. We were about to be subsumed into something much larger. (laughs)
4: Oh, <laughs> he said, maybe 12 days.
2: I'll, 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 starting when, and he said he still doesn't know, so what the f**k, you know? At first, the lockdown was sort of a, I don't know, irritating inconvenience, and then we were just kind of bored. But then we were plunged into the terrors of the world's largest ever full city lockdown with no end in sight. I wanna tell the story because it's important, but I had to tell the story because I literally couldn't avoid it. It came to my door in full PPE with a cotton swab to jam down my throat. This story is about the Shanghai lockdown, but it's also about me and my mental health. The lockdown in many ways has broken me, but it's also brought me back to life. It was the time when I got off the sofa, got out of bed and re-engaged with the world in a new way. Aside from that, this story is also the story of a neighborhood, a story of a city. Shanghai is a city that is caught up in a cycle of death and rebirth. And I believe that I'm witnessing a death of one version of the city to be reborn. But reborn into what? I'm not really sure. You're listening to Strangers in China. This is The Lockdown Part 1. A day in the life So, we're going to talk all about the lockdown and the policy and the lockdown facilities and the inhumane conditions throughout all of this later in this series. But today, I want to focus on the most granular perspective I can provide. So, I'm going to tell my story today. One of our friends just called the community center and, uh, in, in regards to when, what are we doing about the testing? Are we doing testing? What are we doing? And they said, we don't know. Stop calling. Stay at your house. So if you look back on my 2022, it really, really sucked, but it sucked a lot worse for my girlfriend, Elizabeth. The start of this terrible journey actually wasn't in March. It started on my birthday back in February. Elizabeth broke her foot really, really badly at my birthday party, and we ended up spending most of my birthday in the ER. it really hurts. We were eventually told that she would need to get surgery a week later. She was in a really nice hospital, and her insurance covered everything, but there was still some real trauma there. Uh, Eliz, why don't you tell me, how was your stay at the hospital? What was that like? Bad. You elaborate a little bit more? It was very painful, like the worst pain in the world. And I the
1: drugs made me feel awful, and they wouldn't let me go, and I just wanted to
2: go home. We were told she would need at least four months to recover. She was also told that every two weeks, she'd have to come back to the hospital just to check in on the healing process. So let's fast forward to March, March 16th, about a month into Elizabeth's recovery. We were informed by our neighborhood bureau that our entire neighborhood was to be locked down and we were not allowed to leave for two days. During these two days, we were only allowed to leave to go to a testing site to get our throats swapped.
4: Oh, Already
2: at the very start here, we were very weary of the information that we were getting because we knew that the lockdown was going to go on for longer, but they just wouldn't tell us for how long. One night, uh, Friday the 19th of March, after doing four days of testing in a row, without being warned, they constructed these big barricades at our gates. We were told we had three hours to, quote, gather supplies for a lockdown they gave no specific timeline for at all. Days went by. Elizabeth's broken foot was becoming a big worry for us. See, she was scheduled to visit the hospital to get the staples removed from her surgery wounds. But we were in lockdown, and we had to figure out just how locked down we were. Were we allowed to leave to go to the hospital? It wasn't like an emergency per se. So what were the protocols here? They didn't really give us a clear idea of what was allowed and what was not. We just were told, you know, not to leave our houses and not to leave the compound. These weren't the scariest days of lockdown, but they were the most uncertain. You see, not everybody in the city was locked down. Many of our friends were still out and about, going to restaurants and living normally. Shanghai wasn't completely closed, and there weren't clear-cut guidelines for how to live our lives. So we all had to figure out how this was all going to work. This is where our story starts, a day in the life.
1: Um, Can you go and ask... The neighborhood committee, if we can leave, I have to go to the doctor tomorrow. Uh,
4: yeah, I'll go check.
2: This was the day that I had to go to our local Ju to get permission to leave our neighborhood so that I could take poor Elizabeth to the hospital to get the staples taken out of her foot. Before I tell you about my journey through my neighborhood, let me give you some context about what my neighborhood is like. If you really want to understand what the lockdown was like for us here in Shanghai, you have to understand the context of a Shanghai neighborhood. Because while in lockdown, our neighborhood was all we knew for three months. All we had was our neighborhood. It was our entire world because we weren't allowed to leave the neighborhood. My friend Jing, who lives in our xiaoqiu, I think gives a good description here.
0: I'm living in a street near to Shanghai Conservatory of Music. It is a compound built around 1980s, now people call it old compound Lao Chu. These so-called matchbox buildings are usually no higher than seven stories, with around three to four units each level. The structure and style were from our good old friend Soviet Union. As it is in a very primary location, quiet but convenient, People living here are now those from all over the world, as well as generations from local Shanghai.
4: Our Shaoqiu,
2: it's not like an American neighborhood, you see. It's all boxed in. Our neighborhood, our Chu, is designed to be easily monitored. It's surrounded on all sides with 13-foot tall walls. The walls are topped with an electric fence. There are only two points of entry, and the main entrance has a guard shack. It's tucked away from the main road. I've counted at least 40 security cameras spread out throughout the place. Some people will tell you that these measures make it a safe place to live, but it also just so happens that xiaoqiu's that are designed like this are very easy to lock down and contain. I won't say exactly where I live, but it's in the former French concession. There's a statue of the famous Russian poet Alexander Pushkin that looms over a roundabout in the central square near our xiaoqiu. Pushkin's there because this area actually used to be the Russian quarter of the French concession. This used to be a really fun place for like nightlife back in a more exciting time in Shanghai's history. There used to be bars and clubs situated on the corners around the Pushkin statue. The Camel used to be here, which is a Shanghai nightlife institution. Party people from all over the city would converge on this area before. But now the government's bought up all the real estate and pushed all of the nightlife away. Aside from a few revelers who put vodka bottles at the base of his statue, Pushkin resides over a very quiet square in a very pretty, but boring neighborhood. So that morning in mid-March, I pushed our creaky apartment door open and was greeted by the sounds of the neighborhood. The sun is out, it's really, really beautiful. Nice and warm today. Stepping out with my dog, Bebe, I also grabbed a garbage bag just so I could toss it out on my way to the Juei Now, during this lockdown period, we weren't supposed to be hanging out outside in our neighborhood. The gate was sealed and we were supposed to stay in our homes. But even right from the start, no one was really following those rules. As we're like looking around the neighborhood when we were out getting our tests done, it seems like people are really, especially the older people, are not respecting the rules of the lockdown
4: at all. <laughs> They're gathering in little groups, They're ch- chatting with each other.
2: <clears throat> I made my way down our row of buildings, the row that's sort of furthest from the main gate. My neighborhood is really pleasant. It's not out of the ordinary per se, but it's special in one particular way. Because we live smack dab right between the conservatory of music and a musical high school, people in our neighborhood are always practicing their instruments. This actually sort of became the soundtrack of our lockdown. Violins and pianos make up most of the scattered symphony, But if you're lucky, you can hear the percussive pluck of the gujong. And to some people's chagrin, you can also hear the glass shattering, yululating of one of the opera singers. (laughs) I like the music. I even love the opera singing. It makes me feel like our neighborhood is special. Every time I step out my door, I get a smattering of vigorous practicing, like basically from every angle. I make my way down my row of buildings towards building 10. My dog, Bibi sniffs at a pile of stuff that's stacked across from the Zhong clan's little compound. All the first floor level apartments have outdoor kitchens. So the Zhong family has rustled up ancient scrap and built little porches around where they do their cooking. They've turned what was previously an outdoor space into a sort of living room hanging off their front door. This little space they've made is made out of old billboards and plastic sheeting and old furniture. Great-grandpa Dong spends his day sitting outside, and he loves my dog. He likes to pet him. Scratching my little pug's head is the only time I've ever seen a smile etch across his 90-plus-year-old face. Till the day that his wife died... Great Grandpa Zhong used to push his wife in her wheelchair around the neighborhood. Now he sits outside in a salvaged chair, absorbing the music and the goings-on in our row. He doesn't move much, but he really does love petting Bibi. The matriarch of the clan is Zhong Ai. She's probably one of the most active members and most important movers and shakers in our neighborhood.
4: So, you, the
2: I've really never met anyone quite like her. She's really charismatic and very sharp-tongued. Dong Ai is afraid of literally no one, and although she can be kind of mean sometimes, everyone seems to really like her because she's just so damn funny. She's also really involved, like I said, and so she volunteers for the Zhu Weihui. Every time there's a COVID test, I see her dressed head to toe in PPE, putting her big voice to good use, hurting and corralling people to go get their COVID tests. Just a few days ago, poor Zhong Ayi had to be out in the rain all day. She was out there helping to administer the COVID
4: test that day. <laughs>
2: As far as I've counted, there are five generations of Jongs living here. There's great-grandpa Jong all the way down to Jong Ai's granddaughter, who's three or four. Although I think they're a little bit wary of me, they don't like that BB sometimes pees on their junk pile, I feel a real kinship with them. I like how tight-knit they are. I like that they assert themselves and occupy so much of the row. I like that each one of their four apartments is bursting at the seams with people. They have smaller apartments than our apartment. Our apartment feels tiny with two Americans and a dog, and they have like five or six people in each of the apartments. They remind me of my Italian family in some ways. A group of people who, upon arriving in America in the 60s, were packed into a two-room apartment with something like 10 people living in one place.
4: We are very happy here. We are very happy, you know. If you want
3: to say something, you can say something. If you say something wrong, we won't be able to do it. Because we are習慣. Yes. But we are good at the beginning. If we say something wrong, we won't be able to say something wrong. Yes, yes, yes.
2: I pass the next row of buildings down from mine, and I see a group of old people gathered around talking and smoking cigarettes. The old folks are the ones who have staked out all the good chilling spots in the neighborhood, because it's really their neighborhood. During normal times, working-age folks don't usually spend a lot of time in our xiao because our lives are so much more about whatever it is we do outside of our neighborhood. The old folks care so much more about the neighborhood because it's their world their network, their friends. I feel like they are so much more suited to this lockdown because they've already created a community within the walls of the compound. Now, that's not to say it's always harmonious between them. I do hear them arguing and even fighting from time to time, but they care for each other and take care of each other for the most part. The most astonishing thing about my stroll to, you know, throw out my garbage and ask for permission for me and Elizabeth to go to the hospital is that I see a group of children out playing. They are racing around the neighborhood and chasing each other on scooters.
4: The kids are out here having fun. I guess uh, their online classes aren't uh, aren't happening right now. You
3: 你也要抓到他们
4: before
2: lockdown, I'd never seen most of these children. Children in China are basically neither seen nor heard. They anonymously pass their days being carted between school and private lessons. They have homework all night. Basically from the age of four until they graduate, they're just working. I've been fortunate in my time living here to have plenty of interaction with kids because I, I, I'm a teacher, but you hardly ever see these kids out playing. The lockdown has given them a little leeway, like the changing of the tides. I've noticed that right around noontime and then like right around 4 p.m., kids get out of their online classes and they start running around the neighborhood and having fun. It's really nice to see them. It's a nice little bright spot in this miserable time we were living through. Every time I throw my garbage out, I have like a little bit of a panic attack. Inevitably, when I throw my garbage out, I'm going to be doing something wrong. Our compound has a row of garbage cans built into this little shack that is managed by Mr. Lee and his wife. Mr. Lee is a foul tempered, wiry fella with eyes that always look like he's laughing at you. (laughs) There's really one thing in the world that he has power over, the garbage pails, and he prowls around them like a restless dragon, protecting its horde. I've made countless mistakes when it comes to where a certain type of garbage should be placed, and I have been harangued by him in his deeply accented Fang I've come to know that he's been a fixture of our neighborhood for 40 years. He's an immigrant from Fujian province, and he still barely speaks any Mandarin. For the life of me, I can't understand anything he says. My personality as a foreigner in China is always to, you know, smile and apologize and try to charm when I inevitably make mistakes. And I'm pretty freaking good at it. But because with Mr. Li, there is no way I can actually communicate with him, he's completely immune to my charms. He doesn't like me. And with the thankless job that he has, He has no patience with me when he sees that I've put cardboard in with the regular trash. Of all of the people who work in our compound, he actually has the most important job, making sure that the trash is sorted into compost, recycling, and non-recycling. But he probably has the least amount of power or respect. Most people treat him pretty badly, and thus he has a thick skin and a gruff demeanor. My grandmother was actually a janitor at a college, and my grandfather was a grave digger. So, me and Mr. Lee don't get along, but I do have a lot of respect for someone who does a job that no one else wants to do. I toss my trash and I walk towards the guard shack. You know, all of our neighborhoods here in Shanghai have a guard, so I need to go talk to the guard. I want to ask him if he knows what the protocol is for being able to leave the compound they've erected a big wooden barrier with a door in it around the alley that leads to our compound's exit i'm not really sure why they've done this i guess so that they can lock us in presumably i pass through the door and the guard tells me immediately that i'm not allowed to leave and i assure him that i'm not trying to leave i just have a question for him If Mr. Lee is the hardest working guy in the compound, the guard in normal times is the least hardworking. The guard, like the fence and the dozens of security cameras all over our neighborhood in normal times is just all part of the theater of safety, which is to say all part of the theater of surveillance. He doesn't really do anything. He sits in his guards shack and he looks up from his phone whenever he hears someone coming into our neighborhood. That's during normal times. But in the lockdown, his job has become incredibly stressful. I can see from his expression that it's really wearing him down. During the lockdown, he has to be the bad guy, the embodiment of an unpopular policy. He's the one who personally has to tell people who approach the gate that they are not allowed to leave. It's a completely thankless job.
4: Uh,
2: You can tell it gives him no pleasure to deny old people their right to go buy groceries or take their evening walks. He also has angry young people bickering with him about how inane the policy is. I've watched him listen to their arguments and he seems genuinely sympathetic, but he's following orders not to let us out. (laughs) The guard is relieved when I approach him with a question and I remain calm and polite. So can me and Elizabeth go to the hospital tomorrow? I ask him. He predictably tells me that I need to go ask the Jiu Hui, you know, the local neighborhood committee, which I was going to do anyway. Though it's his ultimate discretion as to whether someone can get in and out of the gate, he always has the power to defer to the wisdom of the Jiu The buck is therefore passed. Bibi and I leave the guard at the gate and make our way down the first row of apartments. That's the way we gotta go to get to the Juehui. There's a beautiful greyhound loping towards a descending frisbee, and Bibi lunges towards her. I've seen this greyhound and the guy who owns her before, but I've never talked to him. The lockdown has been a time of unprecedented, we're in this together sort of friendliness. So I decided to approach the Greyhound guy.
4: What's your name? Uh, Ansel. If you don't mind, I'm gonna record. I've been all
2: of this. That's okay,
4: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ansel. Yeah, it's a very special time,
0: huh? Yeah, where are you from? I'm from Sichuan.
2: Ansel is in his thirties, with a mustache and a sturdy build. He's the sort of guy who has all the right sort of gadgets. He gives off the vibe like he's very thoughtful and very well-prepared.
0: Are you going crazy? What do you do for work? Uh, I'm a freelancer. Uh Uh, I'm doing my own podcast and running columns.
4: Oh, really? Me me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice Nice to to meet meet you. (laughs) you. Let's get WeChat and you can listen to my podcast.
2: While we were talking, Ansel told me about a man who died because he couldn't get to the hospital for his cancer treatment.
0: Yeah, five so days there was another compound in Shanghai which is locked down. And uh, there was a resident whose father got serious, serious ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a cancer treatment. Yeah. So because they cannot get out, so her father died at home.
4: Jeez,
0: yeah, that's... it's become a huge wave on the internet. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Shanghai, in different lockdown areas, they're going to be more patient and more serious about people who have to go to the hospital.
2: So over the course of the whole lockdown, we heard lots of stories like this. This was not surprising, but I was really taken aback that day because this was the first time I'd ever heard this. I didn't realize that the hospitals were closing down to create COVID camps. While I'm talking with him, I get his WeChat and I add him to this group that I've created called the Neighborhood Watch. He seems like a good addition to the team. In its inception, our group, the Neighborhood Watch, was just a group formed of the people that I knew in our xiaoqiu. It started with five members, but it bloomed to about 28 members as the lockdown went along. I set up the group because I thought we could, you know, share info and help each other get through this weird time together. In those first few days, we had sent info about when and where the testing was taking place. And we'd already begun the team building exercise of groaning over how annoying everything in lockdown was. Our grumbling was the glue that held the group together. At this point, only days into the lockdown, we'd already groaned about or made fun of basically everything that lockdown entails. We complained about the timing and the inconsistency of when the testing was scheduled. We joked about how incompetent the Zhu was. We grumbled about how little information we were receiving. And we speculated about whether we were being intentionally uninformed or of the powers that be were just indecisive or incompetent. The biggest question on our mind was, when the hell are we getting out of this thing? Ansel uh, on that day, he told me that he kept up with all the daily Shanghai briefings from the government. And so I thought this guy is really well informed. He is somebody who would be a great addition to our group. He might actually have answers to our fruitless speculation. I asked Ansel if he had any idea how long this lockdown was going to last.
0: System, right. In, in this morning, there was nothing more about there were going to be more okay. serious lockdown in Shanghai. Yeah. All right, and actually, here. they're talking about uh, it's going to be released. Thank God. Yes, thank God. So I, I of, so. think there's a rumor flight last night, a, a lot of things, right? Yeah. Shanghai going to be total lockdown for seven days. Some rumors it's going to be 14 days or something. But uh, this morning's reference, the, the conference, uh, it's, it, 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 it's, it's all rumors.
2: I didn't know at the time that Ansel would end up being a really helpful, great member of the group. I was just happy to meet a new friend on that day. What I didn't know about this message group, though, that I created in those innocent days in lockdown, those days in March, is that this group, the Neighborhood Watch, they would literally become my lifeline. My dog is very particular about where he poops and he's found a nice pile of wet leaves to poop in. So, I guess, oh, that's a terrible little turd. I guess I have to pick that up. Hold on, pug, don't run away.
4: You gotta pick that up.
2: As I head down towards the bureau to the Juehui, I have to stop to let Bibi see his best friend, Mr. Zhang. Mr. Zhang is a man in his late 70s who BB loves so much. He calls BB over and squats down and pets him for at least five minutes every time he sees him. I really like Mr. Jung and I appreciate how kind he is to my dog. Not everyone in the neighborhood likes dogs or likes BB specifically. He can be a troublesome little pug. I worry a lot about how people perceive my dog. I've heard horror stories about dogs being stolen or poisoned or reported and then taken away here in shanghai in my rational mind i brush stories like this away with the rationale that my neighbors are generally kind and reasonable but there is this protective parenting instinct that creeps in and makes me wary of my neighbors if they did do the unreasonable thing and they reported my dog i don't trust any authorities that would take him away i don't think they have his well-being in mind Worries about my dog are essentially an extension of worries about how I am perceived. How do my neighbors see me? They mostly approach me with affable smiles, but I hear their politics when they let their guard down. I know that they feel contempt for who I am, both as a foreigner and, more pointedly, as an American. Distrust for foreigners has a long historical precedent for sure, but when I first moved to China, that was not at all the mood. I used to be deeply embarrassed when I was approached by people who would tell me about how great America is and how backwards China is. Over the course of my time here, through the Trump years and the pandemic, that narrative has shifted. I hear a lot more hateful opinions about America. And even worse, I hear a lot of people express pity for America. As far as being a foreigner, I do know that I have to keep myself in check. I feel like there's this undue diplomatic burden I put upon myself to seem lovely and friendly to my neighbors. I hear them complaining about other foreign neighbors.
3: 这都有数字好的你
2: so, Zhong Ayi is talking about an American friend of mine who lives in her building. She's saying that late at night, when my friend gets home, she clops up the stairs in her high heels, and it wakes up Zhong Ai and it annoys her and her family. Which, yeah, I mean, that sucks. Now, obviously, this is just one harmless anecdote but I hear my neighbors talking a lot about the problems that they notice with the foreigners all the time. My neighbors tell me all the time about how bad and annoying some of the foreigners are. They always admit that some of the foreigners are great, but they seem to really focus in on those stories about how annoying they can be. I've started to have this urge to, you know, defend the foreigners and deprogram some of the ideas that my Chinese neighbors have about the foreigners. I wanna show them that I, myself, am a good example of a foreigner. I try to tell them all the time that, you know, foreigners and Chinese people were exactly the same in every way. I don't know why I feel this urge to be such a diplomat. I think it comes from my fundamental need to feel like I'm accepted and liked. But if I dig deeper, I think part of it, a sliver of it comes from fear. I like my neighbors for the most part. I trust my neighbors. They've helped me when things have gone wrong. But I do find myself wondering sometimes if at the end of the day, if it really came down to it, would they have my back or would they other me? I read and watch Chinese news and I see the vitriol expressed about how terrible the outside world outside of China is. Even if my neighbors are completely rational and kind, which in most cases they are, They are constantly being reminded that foreigners, our opinions, our lifestyles, are not to be trusted, especially Americans. Under the Xi administration, everything foreign is suspect, if not outright a threat to the Chinese way of life. And that permeates, even in Shanghai, which is the most tolerant city in China. Do I worry about my safety in any real way? Do I think my neighbors are going to turn on me suddenly? No, 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 I don't. But, like, I've been harassed on the streets. I've been asked a myriad of probing and annoying questions in my time here. I've been told a million times that I am a good foreigner, but a lot of other foreigners or other Americans are bad. Every foreigner I know has these experiences. I think I'm safe, but I have noticed over the past few years a less and less friendly attitude towards foreigners. Honestly... I think it's made me pretty sad, made me depressed even. I've always known as a foreigner that I'm not seen as part of this culture, but I've kept the hope alive that I can live harmoniously and comfortably here. Now I wonder if I'm ever really going to be accepted here. After my usual gregarious stroll to drop off the garbage, I'm finally headed towards the neighborhood bureau, a place I was not particularly familiar with before this lockdown, but whose members I now know by heart. Each member has their own personality and Picadillos. At best, they are gentle, but not always very helpful. And then at worst, they can be kind of tyrannical and mercurial. I find it best to talk to Mr. Zhang. Not old man Zhang who loves BB. Zhu Zhang. He's the most reasonable and the most able to actually do
4: something for you. i to go to the Mr. Zhang
2: tells me that I don't in fact need a pass. I need to simply tell the guard what I am doing and he's just supposed to let me and Elizabeth out to go to the doctor. He says to me, it's only reasonable that a person who needs medical attention should be let out of the compound, which is, of course, reasonable to me, but I don't know what reasonable is. I don't know what the rules are here. Mr. Zhang makes me feel somewhat silly for even asking, even though the guard told me that I should come here and ask the Zhu Weihui. The thing that we learned pretty early in this lockdown is when it comes to the Zhu they either don't know or don't really care. I understand that they get lots of calls every day. I understand that they most likely do not have all the answers. But the lack of or unwillingness to provide any clarity about the current situation makes me feel like they are really bad at their jobs.
4: so, so if you, why, why don't we make it easier? I don't understand. you want we not have to send them. We don't we don't
2: Okay, 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 okay. okay. Anytime time I'd call to make a request or ask a question, they would inevitably defer to a higher power. They'd tell me that they didn't know, and they were waiting on an answer from the higher level of bureaucracy. I don't want to say we're the only ones in Shanghai that don't have clear updates about what the f*** is going on, but a lot of the people we've been talking to have had very clear outlines of, oh, you need to stay for 14 days, you need to stay for 12 days. They just haven't told us anything, so I guess we feel like Elizabeth said the forgotten neighborhood. just want to know. Like, what would we do if they said 12 days originally and then we went back and they, they came back and said, oh, you have to do another 14 days. Like, what would we be, like, what we would say no and wouldn't do it? Even if they didn't know for certain, like, why not just tell us something? We're getting nothing, nothing, nothing. I've thought about this forever. Why won't they give an answer? And the only reason I can come up with is this. If they do give a definitive answer, and then they have to change course, they lose face, they lose respect. But then again, their lack of transparency makes them equally vulnerable to losing face. I'm sympathetic to the idea that they don't have the answers or they are just following orders. And in some ways, they're in the same situation as we are. But if they are truly carrying out orders when they get them, this suggests that the level of bureaucracy above them is just as disorganized. It really doesn't reflect very well on the whole structure. One way I do sympathize is that if you are a neighborhood level bureaucrat, you actually have to handle and carry out policies. Some of the policies that they hand you don't make any actual sense in the real, lived world. It's easy for the city government to say everyone needs to be locked down. It's a pain in the ass to actually do the doing of it. The people of my Juei like Mr. Zhang, are the ones who have to do this doing. Anyway, I get the go ahead from Mr. Zhang and now I can go back home, tell Elizabeth, and get back to my regularly scheduled programming. This stage of the lockdown is not very stressful. It's pretty easy to get food delivered and there's not any existential dread yet. The deep and abiding worry of being shipped off to some lockdown facility is at this point just hypothetical. I give the Juei the benefit of the doubt. I empathize with them, but only up to a point. Because they always seem to disappoint me. They do things that are incredibly stupid and irresponsible. And that kind of makes me hate them. Earlier this week, Building 6 had been found to have a positive case. An elderly man was tested positive and he was carted away from his home. For all of you listening in America, that's how crazy this shit is. There was one case of COVID in our entire neighborhood of 2,000 people and the whole place was shut. And that individual who tested positive one time was carted away to a lockdown camp. That is how crazy this shit is. Anyway, later on that day, a member of the Jiuweiwei padlocked the staircase door of building six, effectively locking in everybody in the building. If there was a fire, they would be trapped until the Zhu Weihui representative with the right key came out and unlocked them. To be clear, because we've gone over the building codes in Shanghai, this is an illegal practice. As I was walking home, I passed by Building 6 and wondered how Anna was doing. Locked away upstairs.
4: Where are you from? from? Russia. Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling about all of this? Oh, it sucks. It, the uncertainty
1: sucks. Yeah, like, the uncertainty. Right? They yeah. don't say what time to what time, right?
2: Right. Yeah, so. I don't
1: feel good about saying that I'm from Russia. Now.
2: Oh, well, it's, it's, I a, Look, I'm from America. I'm used to it. <laughs> so, anyway, it must be a
4: troubling time for you, generally, then. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely.
2: I met Anna earlier that week when we were blustering at the gate to figure out what the f- was going on and what's the deal with this lockdown. I added her to our neighborhood watch group. While she was trapped up there, I asked her to record how she was feeling.
1: Hi, my name is Anna. I'm from Russia. I moved to China eight years ago. It was in the evening when I was about to take out my garbage. I went downstairs and i just found out that the door um like the entrance door to our building was locked no notice no information nothing in a situation like this you'd think they should have left like a phone number to contact just in case of emergency but no it was it was very irresponsible i think for me it was even surreal in a way because you live with uh, like a certain illusion of having a choice or just having basic human rights but then if they want to lock you just just lock you up um they just do it without like thinking if it's right or wrong i contacted our neighborhood committee at first they did not answer any of my questions it was like oh we had to do that blah 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 two days later like we were locked up all this time. They finally, officially noticed us that there is someone tested positive in our building like two days later. And that's we, that we're gonna stay inside for another seven days on top of the two two days we were locked in. Overall, I don't wanna say anything bad about like the neighborhood committee. Obviously, they're just doing their jobs in the only way they were taught to do it. Um, Maybe it's just me having the Stockholm Syndrome. Um, They do seem very stressed over this situation though. Um, But I just wish it was organized and managed differently. It's been five days? Five or six days, I think. Um, Maybe I should start cutting notches like Robinson Crusoe. (laughs) Uh, So far... We do random COVID testing. It's never scheduled. One day they ask you to go down to do it at 11 p.m. The other day the ban on your doors in the morning. Like they never tell you. They never tell you in advance. One evening my neighbor downstairs got a message from like neighborhood community guy. Which literally said, Don't go to sleep until you're told. This sentence pretty much sums up the whole experience. For now, I used to compare living in China to to a lottery. There is a certain number of sometimes very unfair rules you gotta follow. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But recently I feel like living in China is more like being in a toxic relationship Sometimes you are loved, sometimes you get abused, but but you just stay. You choose to stay. You do not move on.
2: Anna right here I think gives one of the best and most succinct descriptions of lockdown that I've heard. This idea that she has, that living here is like a toxic relationship, hits so hard when you think about the fact that our Russian, and more pointedly, Ukrainian friends, feel like they don't have any other option. They have to stay here. Not to mention our Chinese friends who literally cannot leave China right now, even if they want to. When I asked the Juehui about locking down Building 6, they told me, Mei bam fa. They had no other way. But wasn't there other ways? Couldn't they have put a guard at the door? They seem to have the manpower. Couldn't they just monitor the door with the dozens of cameras that we have around our Xiaoqi? Apparently not. My question now is who made this call? Who decided that we should lock Building six up like this? Reports from other communities in Shanghai show that similar methods, or even crueler methods, were used in locking people in their homes. So maybe the Jiu was just following orders. That's what the district-level bureaucracy told them to do. I hope so. I don't like to think that they were cruel enough to think of this idea on their own. I've come to realize that the best prophylaxis against human empathy is organized hierarchy and strict orders. These prerequisites demand that we do the unreasonable in pursuance of the greater goal. The zero COVID policy has led to a million small, inhumane examples of cruelty in this system where the buck can always be passed. I made it back to our house and informed Elizabeth about the protocol about us leaving, that we could just walk out. So I went down to the Juei Wei and uh, basically they just said that we just go and talk to the guard. Do we
1: need a note
2: or anything? Uh, no, the, the the guy said that we don't need a note, so I guess it's fine. We get out of the house and go to the doctor the next day. The streets in Shanghai aren't dead yet. This is still March. But the cab driver tells us that his business has effectively fallen by half over the past two weeks. We see lines of people outside hospitals waiting for tests. We see other neighborhoods that have been locked down like ours.
1: We will do an x-ray. Okay. And according to the x-ray, we will, it will, de- we will decide uh, whether we still need to use the boot. Okay.
2: Elizabeth is getting the staples taken out of her foot.
4: You all right?
1: Oh, that last... that.
4: The first couple hurt yeah, real uh, Usually, the lateral part
1: will be more sensitive. Oh yeah, <laughs> stinging.
2: As far as the prognosis for Elizabeth's foot, everything's fine. The difficult thing is, <laughs> she's scheduled to come back here in a couple of weeks. This doctor that you're hearing is not Elizabeth's main doctor, actually. The doctor that did the surgery for her is Dr. Dong. And we found out that there was a reason that he wasn't there that day.
1: So, Dr. Dong, is he in a high-risk area? Um, it is according to, uh, he's also in Renji Hospital. So, the local hospital uh, currently is locking down. Uh, so, he's not okay. able to leave.
3: Okay.
2: Elizabeth's normal doctor, Dr. Dong, is locked down in another hospital, helping out with a COVID outbreak. This is the first time we really hear of hospital closures for COVID. It was a strange thing to hear. At this point, we didn't understand the implications of this, but we would find out soon enough. I've lived in China for nearly 10 years, and I've come to understand that the entire country, architecturally and politically, is a series of concentric circles. If you don't believe me, look at the incredibly unsubtle layout of Beijing First Ring Road, Second Ring Road, etc. Just like that, all of China is a series of concentric circles. COVID has really amplified this idea for me. The biggest ring of them all are the physical borders around the country, heavily regulated and policed. This physical border has basically been entirely impenetrable since 2020 because China's been hermetically sealed from the rest of the world. Of course, with its online restrictions, China has been hermetically sealed from ideological pathogens for much longer. Within the country, it's the same thing. Concentric circles. Provinces, then cities. These borders have become less and less porous. The Omicron variant struck in 2022 in Shanghai, and I became aware of districts as discrete entities. And then even on a more granular level, there's the sub-districts. And then even more granular than that, there's the Chu. My Chu is locked down. But the one next door isn't. We are separate and distinct political quantities to be regarded as discontinuous. This is part of a distinct policy known as grid management. Neighborhoods and entire areas can be sealed off to be effectively made into self-contained islands managed by the Zhui As lockdown raged on, I began thinking of not just my neighborhood as a distinct entity, but my building as well. Now, obviously all of these distinctions are arbitrary. Yeah, I thought of myself as a resident of Shanghai, but not in any way as a resident of my xiaoqiu or my district, not until lockdown. Before this, I barely knew anyone in my compound. My compound was in no way an indication of the people I ever hung out with. My behavior was in no way dictated by what the people in my neighborhood would be doing at any given time. Yet, we were cordoned off by a higher power into these enclaves across the city. And therefore, we start beginning to think of ourselves as discrete bodies. Our discrete body in contrast to other discrete bodies as we've been made aware of these distinctions, I find myself thinking about what our Xiao Chu does as opposed to others. It's a total fallacy, but I'll give you an example. The neighborhood that's right next door to us happened to have more cases than we did, but they weren't any less healthy than we are. They didn't go anywhere that was more forbidden and they didn't act on average any differently than we did. But simply by dint of being divided into our little Xiaoqiu, I started to think of them as less trustworthy, unaccounted for. There's nothing wrong with districts or any sort of territorial divisions necessarily. They're like the backbone of distributing and collecting resources. But what's insidious about how we've been locked down like this, what's insidious about our cloistered physical and virtual spaces is we are cordoned off from the concerns of others. In stressful times, we can't extend our empathy beyond our perceived unit. Lockdown has often made me feel like, Damn, I feel bad for them? But thank God it's not us. And the us that I'm referring to is our xiaoqiu, this tiny little political entity. But even seeing Building 6 within our Xiaoqiu being physically locked down, I felt, well damn, at least that's not our building. We're fractured, distrustful, wary of the other. This is definitely an acute symptom of the lockdown, but I can't help but feeling a broader sense of disaffection during the mundane times as well. Concentric circles police tape, endless piles of signed and stamped forms, guards, cameras, all working for the same purpose. 14-hour workdays, six days a week, your own sense of personal, quote, security, keeping you within your community, keeping you safe, keeping society orderly, locked down. A circle within a circle, within a circle, within a circle, until the final little cage, which is your own mind. So days went by until we'd been locked in for 11 days in our compound. We had never gotten a timeline as to how long we'd be locked down. This is really when we started hearing reports of lockdown facilities being built around the city. Positive cases had begun to really surge. Then we started hearing the rumor, the rumor that would turn out to be true. It started spreading around in WeChat groups that there was a much more serious lockdown that was pending a lockdown that would be enacted citywide. What yeah, can you read the note for us? The expert groups prediction is that the epidemic prevention and control in Shanghai is out of
1: control. The next step will long <laughs> will likely be longer time grade closure. So try to find ways to store more food that can last a long time. <laughs> There should be action tomorrow and the day after! Exclamation point! (laughs) They included
3: an exclamation point at the end.
2: A team of top CCP officials were apparently coming in from Beijing to monitor and advise. There were claims that the army was being brought to quell any dissent, with pictures of units arriving by train. The local government was seen as taking a far too loose approach with a quickly accelerating problem. And it was time to crack the whip. The hammer was to be brought down on China's most unruly prodigal son. All of this was buzzing around an anxious city. All of these rumors turned out to be true, even though official statements on March 24th condemned all of this as rumors. They faked us out. They're
1: blocking Pudong and locking it until the first. And then they will do the same thing for five days in
2: Pushy. Yeah, so basically in two turns, they're locking down one side of the city and then they're locking down this side of the city. Over a 10 day period. It's important to note that Elizabeth was always less credulous than I. Throughout the lockdown, she would always assume that the official info was bullshit, And she was usually right. I always remained hopeful and then was usually disappointed. So, I wonder how long they've known about this also, well, that while we're shit still open. going
1: on last week. And they're like, it's a rumor there won't be citywide lockdowns. Right. Which I just felt like that was a lie. Yeah.
2: On March 27th, they imposed a full scale lockdown starting in Pudong, which is the half of the city that's east of the Huangpu River. They planned on eradicating COVID in five days by rounding up all of those who were sick and putting them in facilities. And then, according to this initial plan, after opening Pudong back up, they would fully lock down Puxi, where I live, for five days. The plan was to test everybody every day for five days, basically. According to this initial plan, within 10 days, all COVID cases were to be eradicated outside of the designated quarantine zones. The message of this plan was delivered late in the evening on the 26th of March. The people of Pudong had mere hours in the middle of the night to scramble to get whatever they needed for this lockdown. A lockdown that no one was naive enough to believe was going to be five days. That meant that the lucky ones, the ones here over on my side of the river in Pushi, we had five days to get our shit together before they locked us down completely. They sprung it upon us in the middle of the night like a trap after vehemently denying that it would happen at all. The people of Pushi, again, Puxi being my side of the river, watched as a wall made of policy and technology and manpower dropped over Pudong. We spent five days of freedom scrambling from market to market, buying everything edible off the shelves before the wall came down around us sometime around the twenty seventh of March. Our compound was unlocked. No one actually informed us. I had to hear it from people in the neighborhood watch group, so I called the Zwe Hui to confirm that I could leave.
4: Hey. Hey, hello. Uh, yeah. uh, I heard that
2: in those five days before the official citywide Pushi lockdown was to take place, I spent most of my time trying to get groceries.
4: I am in one of our local grocery stores. Doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of stuff on the shelves though, except for snack foods. All the essential stuff has been bought up.
2: Every single shop that was still open was thronged with people clamoring for foodstuffs. After getting your basics, you started thinking outside the box. This lockdown was the first time I'd ever eaten canned meat. And damn, was I thankful to have it. The old folks are 要不要? way ahead of the game in my neighborhood. One day they organized a vegetable delivery from a distributor. This way they didn't actually have to go out and push through all the crowds. They asked me if I wanted some vegetables. Do <laughs> I remember, uh, I on one of the last days that we had to prepare. Lockdown was supposed to start on a Saturday. And I think this was Thursday or Friday. I remember seeing this young couple who was like very stylish, but seemingly clueless, scrounging around in my local convenience store. They, I remember they asked the clerk, do you guys have any more like cup of noodles or microwavable ramen? And the clerk just laughed at them and said, we haven't had those for days. They've all been bought up. I remember the sort of dumbfounded look on the young couple's face as they realized, well, What are we supposed to do? We were to be locked down on Saturday, April 1st at midnight. It's weird living through a time when basically you and everyone you know is waiting for a major scheduled event that will upend your lives. The atmosphere was really strange. The city felt weirdly electrified, buzzing with terrible purpose. Everyone's zipping around the city, storing up for our scheduled hibernation. I would have loved to be an alien on a spaceship observing this sudden change. Sitting in my spaceship, I would have seen, you know, people going about their normal lives to half of a city shutting down completely, while the other half scatters around frantically looking for food. What an amazing feat of human capacity it is to shut down an entire city. 26 million people and 99.99% are completely immobilized and forced into their homes. The level of control is maybe even admirable if you look at it from that alien vantage point. Unfortunately, I was living on the ground and from where I stood, it was a lot of panic and worry. There were millions of individual situations that those who were in control had not anticipated or didn't care to anticipate when enacting this policy. And therefore, there were millions of unintended consequences. After a few days of panic buying, That Thursday, I had one final meetup and outing with my friends just a few blocks away from my house. Nothing was open at all except for a grocery store that happened to have a beer fridge. So we stood on the street and drank beer and had one final hurrah before our impending so doom. So what do you want for your podcast? Cool. Nothing. What just, do to say? Nothing. I just <laughs> wanted to record the ambiance well, of us shouldn't being have together. You Yeah, right. you want to no. Ambiance. No, 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 ambiance, ambiance, We were all so sweet and innocent. We all knew that the lockdown would be longer than five days, but we had no idea we wouldn't see each other for at least two and a half months. It was somber revelry. But we all stayed out later than we normally would have, grasping at the last gasps of communal fun. What's
4: wrong with your teeth? I think your
2: teeth are so nice. Based on, it's like Why nice. better, stupid, childish. Do you do what you need to do to make yourself feel good and beautiful. So true, mate. Right?
4: right? Yeah.
2: We weren't the only ones out enjoying our evening. There were a bunch of groups of people out hanging out drinking beers like we were. There was a mood of hedonistic nihilism. All of our lives were about to be upended, and we just wanted to rage one last time. The police actually provided a lot of our entertainment that night. Because of the lockdown policies around the city, people were not supposed to be gathering in groups. The police would show up, ask what we were doing out, and insist that we disperse. We would just mosey over to a new spot a block away and it would happen all over again. So then we'd mosey back to the original spot and buy more beers. It was actually a really fun night. I could feel myself consciously soaking in the good feeling of being together. I sort of bottled it up in my memory to be savored. Over the coming days when we were completely isolated, I would need to remember this evening. There would be many lonely, friendless evenings to come And I would think back on this night over and over. (laughs) Mike is is, uh, what we call a (laughs) lousy. Exactly. I woke up the next day with a nasty hangover, but I wasn't going to lay in bed all day. It was my last 24 hours of freedom, and I had a mission. I wanted to hop on a bike and go as far as I could and get a sense of what Puxi, my side of the city, looked like before it went totally dark. I wanted to go to the border of Puxi and Pudong to see how our city had been severed in two. Although each district takes orders from on high, those orders are implemented differently in each district. Sometimes the differences are just by degrees of severity, but sometimes each district has a completely different feel. I wanted to get a sense of the diversity of the ways the government was locking us up. It was a blustery gray day and I pedaled my Hello Bike, which is a bike sharing app, around the city for 15 miles. Basically all up and down the street, they've put these sort of like police tapes along the sidewalk, like on the outer limit of the sidewalk. I don't know why, I don't know what that would do to for COVID
4: in any way, but
2: more notably, they've closed the Lawson, our like corner convenience stores completely closed. I've never seen the Lawson closed. I'm pretty sure it's 24 hours. If they're shutting down Lawson, they're shutting everything down. I started my journey up Donghu Road, which turns into Fu Min Road. This is the heart of the hip and swanky part of our city. It's still part of Shuhui, which is my district. It was completely dead, as far as I could say.
4: Maybe this is obvious or goes without saying, but um, the
2: sort of party areas, the sort of bar street area that everybody sort of comes to and spills out onto the street kind of scene. It's all taped off, completely closed. You're not allowed to enter. As far as I could see, Xu Hui and the Tianping sub-district's commercial life had been completely snuffed out. The only places in our district that were open at all were places to buy groceries. Everyone was just exploding in and out of shops. If they really had hoped to contain COVID, this mass panic buying couldn't have helped at all in the days leading up to our full lockdown. I kept going up to the Yenon Highway, the traffic artery that divides downtown in half. And I get this like weird anxiety, like I crossed the Yan'an Highway, which kind of separates Shanghai,
4: North and South. Oh, sorry, Puxi, North and South. So I just am f- as far away from my home as I've been in
2: three or four weeks. The landscape in Jing'an feels a bit foreign to me. It's not really my city. You see, my district, Xuhui the former French concession, is just much prettier. Because it was the site of French occupation from the late 1800s until the late 30s, it's full of beautiful old Art Deco buildings. All of the streets are lined with plane trees that provide cover from the brutal summer sun. It just has a very relaxing feeling. Jing'an, by contrast, is much more modern, grayer with skyscrapers. It has a much more utilitarian, work-hard, play-hard aesthetic, putting more emphasis on the commercial side than the cultural side. It's it's where most of the good bars and restaurants are, though. Aside from aesthetic differences, it seems that during the lockdown, they were playing by very different rules in Jing'an.
4: Shuhui must be much stricter
2: about their lockdown policies because... Jing'an is like, I don't know, things are like fairly open. We have 12 hours until the lockdown starts. Biking around, it was cold, like temperature wise, but the city felt so empty and so lonely. In my year of solitude and depression leading up to this lockdown, I couldn't stand being out in the city, especially in the day. The streets are populated with school kids and commuters and old folks. It's loud and abrasive to someone as sensitive as I am. But seeing it now, seeing it so empty, I felt a distinct sense of melancholy. All of this infrastructure, designed to serve people, was cold and desolate like a great skeleton. Blocks in Jing'an are laid out like this. On the street side, there are commercial buildings, and then internally within the blocks, there are neighborhoods where people live. It was a really spooky feeling knowing that hiding behind the facades of these closed businesses and restaurants, there were thousands of worried, annoyed, anxious, trapped people sealed off from their neighbors and packed away. Every apartment had a person in it. These apartments were buzzing with energy, with desire, with will but everyone was forced to be cloistered away by a combination of resignation, fear, and strict policy. I cut across Jing'an to its less commercial parts and saw a very different picture. I saw those big yellow barricades. But I'm on Sherman i I'll, I'll look it up later where it is, but this is where you see those infamous yellow barriers that just literally, they just cut off Everything cut off everybody away from where they can get out or whatever. It's just like big yellow barriers. These are the barricades that you saw in those early stories about the lockdown. Big, yellow, and ugly. They look like sinister playground equipment, and they've turned sections of the city into these isolated camps. The barricades were walling off this particular section of houses that were old and historical a relic of Shanghai's former colonial status. They were shut in and sealed off from everything else. The buildings are these beautiful old brownstones, um, but they are clearly in a state of disrepair, overlooked by a modernizing city, a city whose government has little sentimentality for foreign imperial mementos that are still scattered around. It seems like in the Bund and in the former French concession, there is an ethic of preserving some of that history. But even in my part of the city, a lot of these buildings are being replaced by the monotonous, gray, anonymous structures that populate the rest of the city. This was a section of the city that had been condemned early by this outbreak. A forgotten corner that was to be swept over eventually anyway by the forces that are modernizing. In this section of the city, I saw two lovers.
4: Two lovers are meeting at a gate that can't, Go through the gate, but
2: I felt a little creepy about this. This was like a private moment that I wasn't supposed to witness, but it was a beautiful moment. The couple, they were both very beautiful. I couldn't see his whole face, but I could see hers, and I could see the longing in her eyes. She loved that man in that moment, and even the harshest lockdown measures couldn't keep them apart. It was such a potent reminder of humanity and love in these dark times. I I feel sort of misty and teary in remembering it. Throughout the rest of the lockdown, this moment was seared in my mind, reminding me of how beautiful life and love is, even when the times drive us to extreme sadness and ennui. As I continued to trek into Huangpu district, there were a surprising number of people out and about.
4: Aha, I found it. The
2: one dancing troupe of ladies in Shanghai. (laughs) I have not seen one. There's three ladies, they got their speaker going and they're doing their old lady dances. But every park is closed, everything is closed. Huaihai Hai and yes, Huangpi Nanlu. And it's actually surprising, there's a number of people out here who are out here like documenting, like taking pictures and like, just the emptiness of the city. As I'm biking around Huangpu, I notice one of the strangest things there is about Shanghai.
4: So the, the weirdest thing about Shanghai as like a city is just that there's so many
2: parts of the city that are just kind of like are just like kind of defunct like i'm like right down in the heart of the city i'm on i'm still in Puxi. i can't go to pudong obviously but i'm right in the heart of the city and there's just whole blocks that are just like totally shut down not because of not because of covid there are huge swaths of huangpu that are just dead old rotting teeth yet to be pulled Whole blocks are marked with a spray-painted red Chai character, which denotes that this building is going to be demolished, and it's the same character used for reshuffling the tiles in Majiang. These blocks have yet to be reshuffled, torn away, and replayed. And so as you approach the Bund, it feels a little bit like a ghost town. What I've since learned is that these neighborhoods have fallen victim to the ongoing 20-plus-year-old policy of urban renewal. A lot of people are kicked out of their homes, meagerly compensated, having their former homes demolished, to make way for luxury apartments. For some of the people whose homes are torn down, this policy is a ticket to a better life in a more affordable suburb, but for others, this is tearing their homes out from under them there have been reports of people being told fairly abruptly that they are to leave, that they can either accept government deals or be fined. In her book, Shanghai Homes, Jia Li outlines how demolition workers have been sent to harass and coerce residents, try to force them to take the government deals. Sometimes people have had their electricity turned off or their water turned off, and sometimes elderly residents have been bamboozled into signing contracts they don't quite understand. Some of the people who live in apartments or houses like these just absolutely outright refuse to leave, sometimes refusing even ridiculously high compensation for their displacement. These sticks in the mud are referred to as nail houses, because in some cases, literally an entire block has been demolished save for one house sticking up out of the ground like a rusty nail. The one person who refused to settle. It's not unheard of for these nail house residents to persist despite completely abject conditions they are subjected to. jle describes pitched battles that have taken place, house residents against developers and police. One infamous nail house had residents that tossed Molotov cocktails at those who tried to enter. The residents wore black funeral clothes and sprayed the whole place in gasoline to show that they were willing to die in this fight. But most of these holdouts end up settling and leaving, and the contractors charge in and erase any history left in these places. From these graveyards of the displaced, sprout Goliath luxury apartments. In many ways, feng shui is still taken fairly seriously in Shanghai. It strikes me that building your new home on the human misery caused by displaced people would invite a lot of Sha Qi. But the government and the developers make a killing off this process, so maybe it's worth all the negative vibes. According to my research, this whole area that I'm biking through has been condemned to be renewed. I'm guessing the stragglers who are left behind are those who are still negotiating with the government about their compensation, what they're owed for their homes. These demolitions were supposed to take place in 2020, but have been postponed due to the pandemic. As long as I've lived here, so four years, this area of Shanghai has been like a big, white, empty husk. Uh, I'm one block away from the bund at this point and I just saw the moon men and their PPE uh, Carrying around like a drone and the drone has cameras on it, but it also has like a loud speaker on it So I'm thinking
4: that they use it to make announcements So they don't have to go too close to anybody or whatever
2: Finally I make it as far as I can somehow I've gotten turned around and I'm not quite where I wanted to go I wanted to make it to the historical Bund, you know, like the Peace Hotel, the British Gentlemen's Club, the siege port Japan used in the Second World War, the final battleground that foreign interests occupied before being booted out by the Communists in the late 1940s. But alas, I'm on East Fuxing Road, as far as they'll let me go. And from my vantage point, I can see Pudong over in the distance. There's a stupid joke in Shanghai. Whenever someone says they live in Pudong, someone inevitably asks, don't you need a visa to go over there? It's dumb, but it highlights how disconnected we are from that side of the river. Pudong is a weird place. It's vertiginous and imposing. Its skyline can only be fully observed from our bank of the river here in Puxi. It's a really telling contrast between one side of the river and the other. Our side of the river in Puxi is the site of the former concessions that were made to the ignominious Western powers. It's old, sensuous, and literally crumbling into the river. Pudong, on the other hand, is a massive, sanitized, high-tech metropolis. Its world record-holding spires flaunt a future for China that reaches beyond the stars. The west side of the river and its relics are an acknowledgement of China's formerly weakened status during the years of humiliation, while the east side of the river represents the bright future that China is heading towards. It reaches past the aspirations of sagging imperialist empires. Pudong, the financial heart of China, was a cold and quiet behemoth as I gazed upon it from as close as I could to the police barrier. The pulse that seems to jolt through it in normal times was too shallow to be perceptible to the eye. At this point, I'd already scrolled through Weibo for what the situation was like over there. As far as I could see, China's financial heart was pounding out pleas for food deliveries. It was a hotbed for criticism of the government. Even in the first five days of their lockdown, the number of anti-Shanghai government Weibo comments I read were innumerable. On the topic of the lockdown, there was almost unanimous dissent from those commenting. Here are some of the uh, wall comments that I saw. When is the Shanghai government going to step down? They've gotten this rotten and still haven't stepped down? Where is my food? Where is my food? I'm going to starve to death. Who can help me? That was the general sentiment that I saw. I stood out there on Fuxing Road, looking across at the skyline shrouded in gray, damp weather. I was one tiny human looking across at a giant man-made catastrophe beyond my comprehension, an abstraction of cold, dark human misery. Each of those spires scraping the heavens accounted for thousands of people locked down within them. When you're at this vantage point where you can see so much, You feel the immensity of this entire apparatus at work. Walking the bund in days before the lockdown, the spectacle of Pudong filled you with wonder. But seeing it now seemed terrifying, an unimaginable suffocating silence. When we can roam and have our distractions, it's hard to imagine we're under such an organized apparatus. But seeing the emptiness of an entire half of a city, it becomes all too claustrophobically clear that we're being held captive, no matter how large or small our cage may be. The only people on the road were me and a few cops patrolling the tunnel that leads to Pudong. I didn't linger. I'm not immune to the anxiety of feeling like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and there was this twinge in my bones that told me I shouldn't be here. It's weird. It's weird. I'm I'm, I'm feeling pretty uh, anxious right now. Pretty uncomfortable. I, I'm feeling like very much like I should turn back and I don't shouldn't do this. So I bike towards home. Just as I had felt anxiety with each block I got further away from my home, I felt relief each block I got closer to my home. The agoraphobia has set in again. It's a big part of my 2021. Yeah, it's just kind of sad to me because I think I missed a lot of opportunities because I just get a little choked up about it, but it's like I just crossed the gate into my compound and Breathe this big sigh of relief, you know. Well, thank God I'm back. Where I know I'm safe. It breaks my heart to see how messed up I was. At this point last year, I couldn't cope with being outside at all. As a naturally extroverted person, I thrive when I'm out meeting new people. But ever since the lockdown in 2020, two and a half years ago, I haven't been the same. I'm fearful, reclusive, and no fun. I go back home and feel deeply relieved to have the comfort of my books, and my computer, and my video games. As much as they've imprisoned me, I've imprisoned myself in easy comforts. Because honestly, the excitement of going out is always outweighed by my own anxiety. But here, I'm safe. I have my supplies, I've sealed myself away, and I can breathe easily in my little catacomb. I remember a feeling that I had that day that I now regret. I remember feeling glad, glad to be locked in, glad that all the irritations and complications of life would be flattened by this gargantuan excuse not to have to do anything. I could just live my simple little lockdown life away from everyone. It's a selfish impulse, it's the impulse to shrink away from accountability. The impulse to wallow. To say, me It's a learned behavior to make yourself helpless because your anxiety is too much. I'm ashamed to have felt that way, and I'm glad I truly don't feel that way anymore. Lockdown has changed me. That was my last day of freedom for a long f-ing time. I had five days. Five days to rush around and store what I could, like a squirrel getting ready for hibernation. But lockdown wasn't hibernation at all. It was undoubtedly the most stressful time I've ever lived through. Did anything really bad happen to me during lockdown? No, I guess not. I wasn't starving like some. I didn't have a major medical emergency that led to grievous harm on my person the way that some did because all of the hospitals were closed, but the uncertainty, the claustrophobia were more than I could handle, and I almost completely broke. American listeners may be entirely unsympathetic. So what? You got locked down for two months. You should try living what we lived through in the past two years. But there's something more here. I know now that I'm not just crazy, that there's something wrong with this society, There's something entirely inhumane about the level of surveillance, scrutiny, and control that we are placed under living here. It's certainly impressive that a society is capable of such control of its population, but there's something so crushing, so perverse about the helplessness that you feel when you're buried under that control. I don't think that this feeling is entirely unique to China, but there is no place where the full-scale panopticon has been so fully realized. I think being so acutely aware of that during this lockdown has literally broken us. We're changed. We're not the same people we were when all of this started. listening to Strangers in China. So next time on Strangers in China, we're gonna talk about the actual experience of the actual lockdown. It won't just be about me, I'll spread the focus and bring in other people and talk about their experiences as well. So listen up, this is a call to everyone who lives in China currently who has stories about lockdown. If you live through a lockdown in any city in China over the past couple of years and you have something to say, please email us. You can email us at strangersinchinaofficial at gmail.com. You can also message me on Twitter at Stranger in China. I'm interested to hear your experiences, your feelings, and any specific stories that you might have about lockdown. So please, please, please hit me up. Again, that's strangersinchinaofficial at gmail.com or on Twitter at Stranger in China. I have so many people to thank for the making of this episode. Let me start by thanking Jenny and Mark for helping me get through all of this. Devante introduced me to the Japanese manga Berserk, which really inspired me a lot through this process. I just wanna shout out all my friends in China. I love you guys so much. Special shout-out to all of my neighbors who literally kept me fed and as happy as I could be in this lockdown. And uh, thanks to Anna, who put her neck out to tell me about her experience. Strangers in China is a Seneca Podcast Network production powered by The China Project. Thanks to Kaiser for mastering this production. The Strangers in China theme song is Analytical Skeletons by Caesus. The other music in this episode was made by moss heim Trey jays berry ginger pitcher domes tdp experimental wow there's a lot of music uh xxi uk lakey inspired taz lazuli terry skills lofi dream purple cat Ye old experimental junk, La Gang, Obani, Joswin, Barry, and MCV. Thanks everyone for listening uh, and tune in for the next episode.